Genesis 1, 31 through 2, 3. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast. We are your hosts, Caleb and Lindsay Stomberg. Hello, and this is episode nine, all about the Sabbath. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take a, a whole episode just to discuss the Sabbath, and and no doubt they're gonna get in uh, hot water with someone, but uh, it should be no surprise what position we're going to take and and argue for, since we call ourselves the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast. Uh, we want to want to just kind of look at a few different things, and hopefully it'll make sense in the kind of flow of of where we've been building with our episodes so far. Uh, we want to look at, at the Reformed perspective on the Sabbath, kind of making a case for the importance of, of the Sabbath, the importance of rest, and, and the Reformed perspective on that. Um, we want to even make the case that if you're not a, a scripturally convinced Sabbatarian, why you should live like one? Uh, um, because there are blessings there that God God has given. We think there's wisdom there. And we want to discuss some ways to enjoy a day set aside for worship and rest as the blessing it was intended to be. So starting out, just we want to just kind of point out, we can't afford to ignore one of the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 20, 9 through 11 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is, it is the fourth commandment, one of the Ten Commandments, the summary of God's moral law. It is the only one, though, that has both a ceremonial and a moral element to it, though, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's a bit unique, and that's going to that's gonna affect um, why we celebrate the Sabbath or why we rest on the first day of the week versus the seventh. Um, that definitely has, has, is a huge component, and that's part of why it's a little bit different, and it's been a matter of more discussion among the Ten Commandments. Now, we, we do want to just kind of mention early on uh, there, there are a couple different ways, um, orthodox ways that well-meaning believers, even within Reformed churches, understand how the commandments of the Sabbath should be honored and obeyed by Christians today. Um, there are multiple positions that we would say are orthodox and, and are not dangerous, um, but in any position you're going to take, we cannot simply say that any part of God's perfect moral law um, can just be set aside. So if we're going to be people that are going to say that God's moral law is perfect, it is applicable and should be binding on all men everywhere and every time, or even if you take a lesser position on the law, that it should be God's moral law should be binding 
to the heart on the hearts of all true believers. Uh, we cannot say that and at the same time just set aside one of the Ten Commandments. That's what it came down to for me when we were looking at this all these years was why would you take exception with one and uphold all the others? It just didn't jive well. No, and, and it and it doesn't. And and you know, as I said, there there's argumentation that can be made and is often made about about why um an old, you know, the a literal or a more old covenant type observance of the Sabbath isn't anymore what is required by the law, and I think there's a discussion to be had there. But and the the common idea now that it's just something that we we ignore, um, and I don't think I've, I haven't been in a church other than ours. <laughs> um, I, haven't, I haven't been in many churches where it's even a discussion, where there's any talk at all thought about it, where you know pastors ever talk about what's appropriate to do on Sunday, or they even call it the Lord's Day. Um, and, and it's just another normal day but that just happens to have a worship service attached to it. And, and I think a lot of that comes down to just the way we are, though, as in our culture, but as human beings of like, we're in this culture that doesn't want to tell people what to do. And telling people what to do with their Sunday isn't palatable to most people. Yeah, and, and I think there's um, that the whole seeker-sensitive kind of thing that I, it it penetrated into churches that that never called themselves seeker-sensitive, right? Uh, and you know, in any church you go into, and then where they they didn't want to call uh, the handout a bulletin, uh, and just you know, complete honesty, we don't call ours a bulletin. Sometimes I slip and call it that, <laughs> uh, but we we don't. Old habits die hard. We did we didn't change that. We don't call it something different because we thought bulletin wasn't cool. Uh, we actually call what we hand out each week our our weekly worship guide because it it pertains to the worship service itself and it's designed to be an aid for families uh, to use during the week for family worship. So. We, we you call it something different for there, but that's one example. A lot of churches they they wouldn't call it the bulletin because that sounded too old church, and they they didn't want to sound like that. So they they changed the way that they did their services. They changed how they called them, uh, what time they met on, a whole bunch of different things, in order to not look like the boring old church um, of the previous generation. I, I think that had more to do, or at least a lot to do with with the. Um, the dropping of, of the importance of how we celebrate Sundays and and just a, a overall giving up on the matter. You know, the, the world uh, slowly kind of took more and more back. You know, we, we live in a culture that still, in many ways, recognizes something unique about Sunday. Um, the Christian influence on this nation is strong, and it, it, even with all the effort going to today to just to deny it and run away from it, it lasts. And, and, you know, the fact that, you know, stores, well, I guess I haven't done a whole lot of shopping in a while, but um, last I reckon, uh, stores didn't open Sunday morning. They waited till, you know, the afternoon or um, growing up, there was a store in our, uh, or the stores in our town weren't allowed to sell alcohol on Sundays. That was a, I don't, I'm sure that law has been rescinded now, but that was still going when I was growing up. Yeah, and that's been a that's been a common thing in different states. You know that there was laws on on alcohol on on Sundays, or laws at what hours a store could be open, um, and, and in many places that things just could generally shut down uh, largely on on Sundays, and and that that was a reflection 
of the the Christian practice of of Sabbath on the Lord's Day to take that day for rest and and for worship. So there, there's still that element that's there, but uh, more and more that kind of creep, you know, the, the cultural things kind of creeped in, and other things became more important on Sundays and. In uh, so many places, if you go, you know, depending on the time of year, it might be uh, NASCAR. That's the big, the big draw that everybody's more worried about that on Sunday. That's the big thing, or or the NFL. Um, there's few things that can compete with the NFL for how passionate people are to make sure that they're in a particular place at the right time for hours at a time on Sunday afternoon. And it became harder and harder, I think, for people to try and compete. Uh, with nominal Christians who didn't really love the Lord um, and were slowly uh, their sense of guilt at, at needing to be in church was eroding away. Well, because we're such a, a pe- we're people of convenience. If it's not convenient, then we don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not convenient and I, and if I don't feel bad about it and, and it's hard to make somebody who doesn't actually agree with something feel bad about it for very long, you know. And and you can if you've got enough of a grip on culture uh, that people are kind of shamed and guilted into things, and that's not always a bad thing. No, I agree. It isn't always a bad you know. thing. I mean, we, there's a whole conversation about nominal Christianity and the effects of that, but at the same time, just having Christian morals affecting the culture. Um, there, there's some good to that for sure. We were far better off when men who were perverted in their minds and confused about their sexuality, when they were shamed into not wearing a dress in public. Agreed. We were far better off when many things that today are celebrated and out in the open, uh, where people still felt shame about it. They knew that it was wrong. There was social stigma, uh, and that there was a cost for them trying to be public with that. We were better off under, you know, a largely uh, nominal Christian culture. Um, now, the, the problem with that, and of course, we're getting off track, but that's okay. This is our podcast. You know, the problem with that is, you know, it's one thing to have a nominal popula- Christian population, uh, if you, but you need strong, vibrant Christian churches. churches. You, yeah. need, you need pulpits who are not resting on their laurels and just saying, well, we've got the culture, so we're fine. Uh, you need pulpits who are challenging people to repent, calling them back to the gospel, calling them to greater obedience and faithfulness, radically calling people to follow Christ. And if you have that in vibrant churches, uh, then yes, you're going to have a, a segment of the population that will always be nominal at best, um, but they'll be held to to Christian morals and values because of societal pressure, because of stigma, because of laws that you're enacting, because you have influence in the legislature. All sorts of good things happen, and society is much better off in, under that kind of case and, than it is when uh, say, okay, well, let's get rid of any kind of a hint of a, of a nominalism. Um, you know, we should, we should reject nominalism in our churches, but in society, uh, th- there's worse things. Agreed. <laughs> so looking at just um, kind of talk about a, a classical reformed confessional position um, on the Sabbath. Uh, one thing to say, you know, that both when we talk about things with the Sabbath, the, uh, Westminster and the 1689 Baptist confession, the two that I'm most familiar with, they're, they're almost word for word on this issue. There's, there's great agreement here. Um, so as we said, there are some that will, um, say that will, that are, it's actually a, a non-confessional position that'll say that, uh, because Jesus has fulfilled all the demands of the law on our behalf, um, 
it has changed the way that Christians honor the fourth commandment. So they would, they, there are some that will, in good faith say, yes, yes, we honor the fourth commandment. It is one of the 10 commandments and we don't just set it aside as meaningless, but because Christ has completed the work for us, then our Sabbath rest is in Christ and his finished work. So they see no continuation of the commandment to set aside a day just for worship and rest each week. Um, and many who people who would you know stress that point theologically continue to see the wisdom in taking a day of rest. So they might say, I'm, I'm scripturally convinced that Christ is my Sabbath rest, yet I understand that it is important for me, uh, for my family, and for the church that we take time and set aside to to have a unique day uh, for worship and a unique day for rest because it's just how we're built and it's what we need. So for practical reasons, they'll function as a Sabbatarian, even if they don't hold that position. Um, but we, we're going to make a case for, for the Lord's Day, uh, taking the place of the seventh-day Sabbath for Christians. Uh, so that's going to be the main thrust of our, our discussion um, we're not necessarily trying to convince everybody that they have to be fully doctrinally convinced of that position, because we would also argue that even if you believe that it has been fulfilled in that sense, and Christ is is the only Sabbath rest that remains uh, for the Christian, uh, we would still argue for taking that day and to, to lay aside your regular burdens, to lay aside the regular trials and stresses of life, to worship and um, to rest uh, with family in the home. Not everyone knows why the, the Sabbath would switch to Sunday, though. And so maybe that's something that we should clarify beforehand. So the Sabbath um, was normally on a sa- was on Saturday for the Jews, but because the Lord's resurrection was the biggest event in all of history, it has now been changed to Sunday. Yeah, you're right. And you know, let's let's maybe uh, jump in here and look at exactly what the confession says, and then we're kind of we'll walk through some of it. Okay. So, um, as I said, the um, sixteen eighty nine Baptist Confession is almost word for word with Westminster on this point. Uh, in the Baptist Confession, this is in Chapter twenty two, uh, paragraph seven and eight. So there we read: It is the law of nature that, in general, a portion of time specified by God should be set us apart for the worship of God. So by his word, in a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment that obligates everyone in every age, he has specifically appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy to him. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the appointed day was the last day of the week. After the resurrection of Christ, it was changed to the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day. This day is to be kept to the end of the age as a Christian Sabbath, since the observance of the last day of the week has been abolished. And then paragraph eight, the Sabbath is kept holy to the Lord when people have first prepared their hearts appropriately and arranged their everyday affairs in advance. Then they observe a holy rest all the day of from their own works, words, and thoughts about their secular employment and recreation. Not only that, but they also fill the whole time with public and private acts of worship and duties of necessity and mercy. So just to kind of laying that out, and as you said, Lindsay, that, that involves the movement of, of the, the day of rest from, you know, the Sabbath as it was understood in the Old Covenant to uh, what we typically call, you know, the Lord's Day. I'm actually more comfortable with, with speaking of Sunday as the Lord's Day 
than strictly as the Christian Sabbath, just because it, it can avoid some of the confusion um, that, that might get attached to that. But uh, the confession doesn't have a problem with either title. Uh, so really, the, the essence of, of the need um, for, the, for Sabbath, for taking one day and seven for rest, is rooted in creation. And it, so that's called a creation ordinance. Uh, just important to remember, it was instituted before the fall, that, that God set aside the Sabbath day and made it holy. That was done before the fall, and that was done before the calling of the Jewish people to be God's people. So uh, we see that, that, that kind of that lasting ordinance that really is in effect as long as creation is in effect. Um, Whereas the specific laws on the observance of the Sabbath were not given until later, and that was given to the nation of Israel, um, even though they did draw back to creation. So you, you mentioned before, and, and that's, a, that's a really good thing to keep in mind, that the, the fourth commandment is unique because it has both the ceremonial and the moral aspect to it. So the, the moral aspect being tied back to creation. So it's something that doesn't change. Um, it's one of the things we see when... when um, when one of the apostles or the New Testament authors or Jesus, when, they're, when they point something back to creation, is something that goes beyond culture, beyond nationality, beyond those kind of references. Uh, one example there is, you know, when Jesus talks about marriage, you know, from the beginning, he's going back to creation. It was that God created them male and female so that the, the man shall leave his family and be joined to the wife. There should be one flesh and what God has joined, let no one separate. That, Paul does the same thing with head coverings. <laughs> but that's a different you're right you're right and that's um that's the primary reason that <laughs> that i became convinced of the issue uh because it is something that if you're pointing back to creation you're pointing back to something before cultural um applications before the fall enters the play so it, it has a unique effect to go back that far with it um so that that's the moral aspect that it's it's tied to the nature of God, it's tied to the practice of God, the wisdom of God, and the precepts of God going back to the beginning. Uh, but there's also a ceremonial aspect, and that's that's uh, tied to the specific way that the Sabbath was to be observed by the nation of Israel, uh, and it had aspects to do with the old covenant. So they observed the Sabbath at a particular time and place, um, and they they did on the seventh day. But that was that part of it was subject. To change, and and we would argue as, as you know, as a confessional reformed uh, Baptist that it, it did change. So the co- the confessional position is that the need for rest, as modeled by God in creation, remains in force for the Christian, even after Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the whole law on our behalf. That that whenever we talk, as, you know, as as um as Reformed Baptists, about the need to obey the law of God, we are not talking about something that we need to do this perfectly in order to gain salvation from, from God, that we don't have to earn the favor of God and the pleasure of God with that. Uh, we talk about needing to obey the law of God because it is how we, we follow Christ. It's how we show that we love him. And because it's the way that God still genuinely chooses to bless his people. There are blessings that follow the obedience to God's law. So um, it is something that is in effect for Christians today, even after Christ fulfilled the, the demands of the law for salvation. Uh, and as you mentioned, that we observe the, the, this day of rest on the first day of the week, 
on the Lord's day instead of the last, because it is the day on which Christ was resurrected from the dead. That that event forever changed the world. It was it was a new act of creation. That just as God rested after six days of creation, Jesus rested after completing his work on the cross and in the grave. So under the old, another way to talk about it, under the old covenant, there was a call to work in order to earn the blessings of God that had been promised under the old covenant. So you had to work first and then you rested. Uh, in the new covenant, we begin with rest. So we begin um, with, an, with the understanding and the position that Christ has already completed the work for us. And then we go out and labor from that position of rest. So it's a different orientation to work and to rest. Uh, the Re- Reformed confessions recognize the perpetual call to Sabbath while recognizing the movement of the day from the final day of the week to the first under the new covenant and the resurrection. Um, R.C. Sproul uh, said this when he was talking about uh, this con- uh, point in the confession, uh, discussing the, the evidence that we have that this was the practice of the early church. He said, there is ample evidence that the earliest Christians came together on the first day of the week to worship God and celebrate the Lord's Supper because Christ rose from the dead on that day. The first day of the week then became known as the Lord's Day. And you see that even in Revelation 1.10. So still within uh, the canon of the New Testament, uh, discussion of the Lord's Day as a unique set-apart day. Uh, Christ's resurrection, continued from Sproul, sanctified the first day of the week. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he brings his people together for worship on his day. So I just want to, you know, one thing we want to just uh, make special notion of here that uh, we're, when we're trying to make a case for the Sabbath, you know, we're trying to call people to, to take that regular time of rest. Um, we're doing it because we are convinced that the Sabbath is a blessing from God, not a burden. You know, we're actually convinced that that all of God's law is a blessing from God. There's nothing that he has required or demanded of us that is done just to lay a burden on us or to, um, to deny us something that we otherwise might want and enjoy. That we believe uh, that God's law is good, it's beautiful, it's mercy, it's a kindness. You know, we want to, with the psalmist, cry, about, cry out about how much we love the law of God. I think a lot of people read through Leviticus. I know I did growing up and and was very confused by the laws that God gave even under the Old Covenant. And some of them come across very um, harsh compared to our day and time, talking specifically toward women. Or, um, But when, when you read the whole book and you take it in context and understand the culture back then, and they really were a kindness and very different than the pagan worlds around them. And so that's been something that as an adult, as I've learned more about that and understood that better, it, it was a, it's a kindness now. And it was a kindness then, even though we have somehow misrepresented it, I think just due to our own cultural sensitivities. Yeah. And it, it, it's very difficult. It's a lot of work to try and get beyond our cultural moment um, to, to see something beyond that. Uh, you know, to think of the things that we're sensitive to, to not judge everything in history by our sensibilities. Um, and, when you, and when we do that, you know, to open ourselves up to what, what Scripture actually calls for, that there are, there are reasons behind the things that were commanded. And, and, and some of them, you know, when we're, when we're going into some of the specifics that, of what God commanded Israel, some of those are because people were, you know, were wicked and sinful, 
and God had, was building in protections um, to provide a level of security and protection from wicked people. Mm-hmm. You know, so the the laws of you know think of the laws of if, if a if a virgin was raped, um, there were laws there not to punish the the girl, but to protect her to make sure that she wasn't you know left on her own or or um, di- without any kind of defense or or way forward in that kind of a, a extreme scenario. And you know, same thing with kind of laws of slavery and stuff. That that yes, there was slavery that was. Um, within the bounds of law, but man stealing was outside of that. So, you know, we, we can't just have our sensibilities and just what we've experienced or the things we've been taught more recently, but we need to understand the context and and trust that God had purpose because he is a good and gracious God that understands uh, mankind much better than we do. So we think about you know, just that same context of that the Sabbath is a blessing from God. Uh, we see we're pretty clearly in Scripture that the Pharisees got this wrong. So that, and part of the reason I think that we we think things like the Sabbath are just are harsh and demanding and uh, oppressive kind of is a kind of law, is because we think about the ways of the set the the Pharisees observed and demanded observance of the Sabbath in the New Testament. Uh, they they actually built up. Um, layers and layers of laws and regulations around the Sabbath uh, that became a massive burden on the people. And, you know, if we're going to be fair, and we should try to be fair, uh, when, when the law says that if you, uh, if you profane the Sabbath, you'll be put to death, you can understand why people wanted to build up some, some layers around it, but they built it into something that had to be, um, it was like a competition for how well could you observe and how could you do this down to minutest detail, completely missing the point that the Sabbath was about resting in God. The Sabbath was about worshiping God uh, and laying aside our normal cares and concerns. It was a blessing. I mean, how, how good is God? And how much does he know the frailty of, of mankind that he has commanded that one day in seven, we set aside all of our normal cares, all of our normal labors. So we might, we might be, be behind in homework and, and housework and house projects. We might be stressed about our jobs. Uh, we might have a thousand different things that weigh heavily on our hearts and minds. Yet God knows our need and has told us that one day in seven, you set that aside. I do think that it shows our depth of sinfulness, though, that we can, I think everybody wants a day off from work. But for some reason, we rebel when it has to do with worshiping God. It's the same, that same kind of mentality that you hear people are like, I don't really want to go to heaven and just sing to God all the time. It's just kind of this general, okay, but I have other things I'd like to do with my time. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um, which is, I mean, why we'd even, like we said, we would, we'd want to make a case even for those who aren't convinced biblically. So if what we have said and what the confessions say don't convince you that scripture would call us to uh, to one day in seven to still to keep that commandment and to honor uh, the Sabbath on the Lord's day, um, we would still commend the practice of, of a day of worship and rest because it is a blessing, because um, we believe there's so much wisdom to there. And, and because it, 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 shifts our priorities and can help us realize what ought to be 
So even if we don't feel like it's the most important thing now, what ought to be the most important to, to actually, because it, it costs something at times to lay things aside that we, we might realize that, you know, there's that, that house project I really just want to finish up. Um, am I, am I determined that I have to do that today or can I leave that? Can I, can I rest from that? Can, can I set aside that normal struggle? You know, for, for a student, can I be disciplined enough to get my homework done um, by Saturday or, you know, or to wait till Monday? You know, do I have, do I have to leave it till that day? You know, it's kind of, our tendency is to want to allow things to stack up and, and we'll look at, at, you know, the Lord's day as, as an opportunity, if we really need to, to kind of catch up on things, but that really need to, that that's a moving target. And that that gonna regularly shift and change, and before you know it, uh, we're debating: do we even go to church in the morning because we've got so much we need to do today? Well, but I think we have to define what rest is because I know it's really easy to hear rest and think, "Oh, that's naps," or that's just you know I can watch um, church on online and rest at home and still do those things and check those boxes, but be able to. Um, it's, it's all about defining that word rest, because I do think that it gets taken wrong and people can misuse it and not realize that that rest is meant to be geared towards God. And my guess, and I could be wrong on this, is that most professing Christians who do not regularly set aside a a time for worship, do not take a day of rest, you know, do not practice uh, the Sabbath or the Lord's day, uh, they do that not because they've been convinced scripturally that Christ is our completed, uh, that he is our Sabbath, that he has completed the work for us, or that, you know, that um, because of the new covenant in Christ that we celebrate the this commandment differently. Uh, but I would wager they do that because they've given never given consideration at all to that commandment and probably haven't much to the Ten Commandments or the moral law of God in general. Um, and they they feel that, uh, Sunday is necessary as a day to continue their recreation or to enjoy just time away from work, um, not for any kind of holy purpose, but because they just want more leisure time or they want to celebrate their sports or whatever other activities, or because they are convinced that they need that time for productive labor, either in the home or at work, to be able to get ahead and get caught up on things. And I just would want to add in that, that um, and this might sound a little controversial to some, uh, but refusing to rest, whether you agree with the moral command to take one day in seven or not, refusing to rest is a rejection of God's good gift. It is a denial of God's example and his wisdom. It shows a lack of faith in God's provision through the ordinary means of work as has been given to man and ordered by God. That that man is created to work. Work is good. Uh, working hard is good. But working beyond what is um, practical for being able to fulfill all of the requirements of life. So for a man who doesn't need to work two or three jobs to do it just because he wants a little bit more, all the while abandoning his family uh, and, and not being present for his wife and kids, that that's not someone who's just an example of a, such a hard worker. That's somebody who's negligent and not trusting in God. I think we need to trust that God does actually bless those who obey him. 
Yeah, and, and it is it is an act of faith to set aside our work for a day and to rest. You know, it, it's an act of faith. Think of think of farmers. They, they might be some of the best example of this that have such a narrow window of time, you know, to plant crops, to to harvest to harvest them at the right time of year, um, weather dependent, all those different kind of factors that go into it. For them to set aside the the Lord's day and to refuse to work on that day is a huge act of faith. To be able to say that they trust that God is going to provide for them and allow them to do what they need to do during the other days, and they might work 20 hours a day all the other days, uh, but that's an act of faith, and, and, and one that I, would, I am convinced that God honors, that when you are willing to set aside time um, for the worship of God in that kind of way. Something that also might be controversial that we haven't talked about yet is the fact that we are actually, when we are saved, we are given gifts by the Holy Spirit, and by not attending church and serving in church, and that's being negligent to use the gifts that God has given us. And I would even say sinful by not contributing to the church in that way. No, you're right. And and we've a lot of our discussion has almost been assuming that um, somebody might still be in church, uh, but what they do with the rest of the day. But um, it, it's a very uh, a small extra step to go from treating the rest of Sunday as an as another weekend day or another Saturday for, for recreation and projects. It's a very small step from there to we don't go to church at all um, because we need more time. We need more time for lazy rest or for um, to do the, the fun things that we want to do. And you're right that... Well, I think we need to define what the purpose of church is because so many people go expecting to be poured into but not to pour themselves in. Yeah, yeah, and that's the uh, the selfishness, I guess, of 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 the individual. You know, we've got uh, we've talked about the the hyper individualization of, of American culture, and in that, you know, it, it's kind of a paradox because we we want others to to pour into us and to give into us as we need what they have, but we give almost no thought about. What do they need that we have? And in the church, you're right. God has given gifts to the church so that together we can function as the body of Christ. And whether you feel like you have a gift or enough time or anything, the Lord has bestowed you with gifts. And sometimes that just means you have to explore those and, and develop those. But you do have gifts if you are saved. Absolutely. you You are not saved uh, and indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God and then left without anything to offer the church. So you're right that that's someone that I don't I don't know that we talk about that enough or that we hear kind of discussion that enough that it's it's not just that when you don't go to church that you suffer because you miss out on on the the sanctifying work of of the word of God through preaching and and the um the sanctifying work of of the ordinances and being able to sing songs of worship to God and prayer and fellowship with other believers. Uh, it's not just that you miss out on what you could get, but you are denying the body of Christ, the gifts that God has given you. So God, God doesn't call people unnecessarily together. 
You know, he doesn't, he doesn't give gifts that aren't needed in the body. And when you refuse to be a blessing to the church, to go and to serve, you are denying everybody in that church something that they need, that God has given them because you've got more important things to do. Or in, so the modern notion that you can attend church online, that's a big thing since COVID um, that people started. It just became so easy to just choose church online. Uh, and that is not being a part of a church. That is not fulfilling that command. No, and it wouldn't have even been uh, heard of. I mean, yeah, they, there's been church on TV for many, many years. And, and you know, it, and for a lot of people, especially shut-ins or elderly, or there, there's, it's been a blessing to different people that, to be able to hear, um, hopefully, a gospel message on a Sunday morning, to hear singing, and, or for somebody who's been sick. And I think there's some advantage to that. Even now, uh, after COVID, to, if you have the technological ability to stream a service, or record it because you have people that have legitimate reasons why they can't be a church uh, and to, for them to not completely miss out on the blessings of that day. But it just became so easy. Um, and, and especially when you could say that we don't have a choice, that, that we this is what we're forced to do. We have to stay at home because this is for the good of neighbor. You know, all those arguments that, that were complete garbage that the government was spouting as though they had the moral authority to tell us how to obey God's commands. And then what it came down to was just, it was really nice to not have to get up early on Sunday. But I think it developed bad habits in people because I see even now the, and it's just a knee-jerk reaction if a person has any symptoms, allergy symptoms, whatever. They have the sniffles. Uh, well, I can't come because I've got a symptom. And, it, but I believe that I don't even know that people think about it, but it, it comes from from COVID a lot in a lot of ways. You see this new need for everybody to be one hundred percent healthy to be able to attend everything, and that's not how it used to be, and it's not how it should be, and it ends up being a really easy crutch to just get out of anything. Yeah, I, I think of it as like the the skeleton key of excuses. It'll open any door or close any door. <laughs> but yeah, because you can't, how do you, how do you, you can't question somebody on that. I don't feel well. I mean, it, that's been the, uh, the go-to excuse for if you didn't want to go to work on a given day for, you know, who knows how long. Yeah. Sorry, boss. Can't come in. I don't feel well. And, and if you're really trying to ham it up, you might even uh, try and strain your voice or cough a little bit or, or, or say something like that. But because you can't, how do you, how do you push back on that? Well, it's not to deny that there's, I mean, obviously there are legitimate excuses. We have seven kids. We've had times where you get cycles of stomach flu that just keep rounding um, with all of them. And so, I mean, there's, there are legitimate excuses to need to not attend something. And that's a blessing to others for you not to attend because nobody else wants to get a stomach flu. But um it's it's very important that we assess our reasoning for not going to know if it's selfish or if it's actually honoring to the people that you are not attending with. Yeah, and we would we would wholeheartedly say if you got a stomach bug, stay at home. <laughs> we don't want that. We've got seven kids in our house and and when one person starts to get that, it goes through the house two or three times and it's not fun. So by all means, Stay home. And we'll drop you off a meal. <laughs> and we will bring you a meal and leave it on your porch and run away. <laughs> um, 
but it, it kind of, it goes back to like a priority thing. Like, as you said, you know, if we go to church or many people go to church when it's convenient. Um, and if that's the way that you view church in general, how much less concern are you going to have with taking a day and devoted to the worship of God and to resting in him and to um, enjoying that day um, set apart from your normal labors? That's not even going to be a consideration if church isn't even important. I mean, there are other things, though, like kids sports. That's a big thing if kids have hockey or uh, we, we do live in the north, so people in the south, hockey is a game <laughs> that people play on ice. Uh, they have sticks that they hit this little uh, black rubber puck, and they try and get it into the goal past the goalie. Well, whatever sport is popular in your area, a lot of sports are played on Sundays now, and uh, you have to travel for them and all the things that go into that. And we're not saying that sports are wrong, but again, what example does that show to children when you can just miss Sunday services for whatever reason? And so, again, these are just things to assess. Uh, all You need to approach your family strategically and be thinking, what, what do I want my children to become as adults? And how can I set an example now and set them up for success toward that end goal? And so you need... You need to be making purposeful, strategic decisions within your family uh, to be able to show your children exactly the, the doctrines and practices that you want them to adopt and help them to understand why you want them to adopt them, just so it's not rote tradition, because they're going to abandon that really quickly once it's not convenient. Yeah, and, and by your actions, you are showing what you really believe. You know, do we believe that God can and will provide for us if we obey his commandments? Uh, do we believe that he will bless us if we obey his commandments? And, uh, you know, this we, we do recognize that, um, as do does a reformed tradition, uh, that there are vocations of, of mercy, that, you know, a, a doctor will be called into work on a Sunday because people get sick on the weekend. I really want the military to still be working on a Sunday. We, we really want there to be a military, uh, to protect us. We want police to be available because um, wicked men are going to be wicked. Uh, we want, there. there's things that need to be there for society to function. When women are having babies, they want a midwife or a doctor to be there to deliver. And, and we could even go so far as to say that uh, when necessity means that we need to travel on, on a Sunday, we want there to be a gas station open in a community. So, I mean, you can extend that pretty far. And I, uh, Doug Wilson was pretty helpful. I've heard him kind of discuss through that about uh, things that, you know, there are times when somebody must travel and, and as a means of mercy, it's appropriate that there would be uh, a gas station that was open so that, you know, you could refuel your car because um, they might be on a mission of mercy. Hotels to stay a, a in. A hotel to stay in, even a restaurant to be able to eat at. You know, there are things that extend beyond what we would normally even say are absolute necessity just because it takes care. You know, there's a, a huge concern in scripture for the sojourner for the one who's just passing through or for the person who is uh, in an extreme case. So uh, you, you can go pretty broad with that. But at the same time, while there are, are vocations of mercy, as a Christian, you ought to consider what are you, what do you really want to pursue as a vocation based on what it will allow, the kind of life it will allow for your family. And 
and what uh, relationship you'll be able to have to the Lord's Day and to the regular gathering with the church, that's an important one. So there, there's a lot of things that, that might um, limit the number of Sundays that you're able to be with the, corp- the congregation and corporate worship. Um, but that, that should be at least a factor that you discuss. I'm not saying that it has to be the only one. That should be a factor you discuss. And uh, beyond that, if there's a, a career field that's going to say, well, no, you got to work every Sunday, I would think long and hard before thinking that that's really what God is calling you to, to, uh, to abandon the regular uh, worship and fellowship of the congregation of God and, and resting in him um, for a pursuit. So I'm not being be dogmatic on exactly what level that goes to, but it's definitely a consideration. Yeah, if you're not able to be invested in your church family and your family on the Lord's Day on some regular basis, then I think it is something that needs to at least be reconsidered and and just sort of talked through and not just assumed that it's okay. Yeah, no, for sure. And and that kind of would include um, this, you know, would step on toes. You know, we, don't, we, um, we have not been blessed with the uh the problem of having to think about you know having a lake house and and wanting to go there every weekend we don't have the means of a second home like that Uh, but in this region actually quite a few people do have some kind of a lake house or a camper they keep somewhere because our summers are short uh they are beautiful and sweet but they are short uh and so around here there is a mad rush during the summer months for people to want to go and do all the things and have all the vacations all the experiences but um I would I would call on on Christians that I'm not going to give you a number of of weeks that you can and should miss church uh, or exactly how you need to figure that out, but um, regularly being with the body that needs to be in the equation. So that old man who loves to fish that says he meets Jesus out on the lake and that's his church that doesn't count. You know what? One day he might fall out of the boat and really meet Jesus. Uh, and I don't think he's going to be happy with his choices. The, the fish can't hold him accountable. <laughs> no, that that's, um, yeah, that to say that the, the, the woods, you know, to be able to go out into the woods, you can have a religious experience and, and celebrate and worship God because you went out in the woods. But the woods is not your church. That, that's not your that's that's not your uh, place of worship, your temple to be able to meet with God. Um even though people like to say things like that because it, it sounds spiritual. So we, we have talked a little bit about, uh, you know, what the, the purpose of the church is. It's not about what you can get out of it. Uh, it's about what you can bring to serve God. And you are serving God as you serve one another in the body. That um, You remind me, does, does, uh, does Paul talk about outdoing one another and how much we can get from each other? <laughs> is that how it goes? Not sure. <laughs> no, no. Paul, Paul uh, he says, outdo one another in loving and serving one another. So outdo one another in service. So that that's not at all see what I can get from you or only be involved in things that I gain something from. It's I want to outdo everyone else in my church with how well I can serve them and care for them and give of what, what I've been given for them because the church is about serving one another it's about building up the body in christ um, the saints being equipped to go out and do the ministry of the gospel and expand the kingdom of heaven because we know that the that the gates of hell cannot withstand the gospel and the movement of the kingdom so, so that's a different shift of focus on what church is 
but that that has an uh, effect on our reasoning and what we think it's about, but how committed we are to being there, um, which is going to have an effect and how committed are we to to taking the rest of the day to to rest and to to build off of of what we've done in the church and together. Now, Lindsay, I know that you've um, we've had discussions about some of the different ways to to build in traditions on on the Lord's Day for for the family. Uh, once you can can you discuss a little more about things with that? Well, I want to say that I coming up with traditions to build around the Lord's Day for your family. It's going to look different for your family depending on what works for you. Uh, some families do Sabbath meals where it's a Saturday evening or Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. And sometimes they'll just do it with their family or sometimes they'll invite other people from their small group or church, whatever your situation is, but a way to try and focus a meal on the Lord's Day. We actually do board games at our house. Uh, So Caleb uh, preaches and he he does all, because he works a full-time job during the week he only has Friday night and Saturday to prepare a sermon so there's no rest for the weary <laughs> um, he's very busy Friday and Saturday leading up to the Lord's Day and so he preaches on the Lord's Day and then we we have a, a longer church service because we actually have our Sabbath meal at church with everyone. And then when we come home, we actually play board games as a family. And so that doesn't sound very spiritual, but it is a sweet time with our family. And I think that's actually key though. Like you don't have to sit down and just sing worship songs in your rest. It, you can, we worship God all the time. We should be and everything that we do, uh, should have, should be geared towards the Lord and glorifying him. And you can do that while you play Catan. <laughs> right. You can do that playing Settlers of Catan. And we and, know other people who go home and sleep mm-hmm. on Sunday afternoons. And we know other people who go rollerblading on Sunday afternoons. So it can look different depending on your family. And, and you know, yeah, uh, we'll admit a strict, uh, strict reading of the confession. We, you know, it does talk about avoiding, you know, normal recreation, but, um, there's there's a difference between the kind of the normal things that you do during the week and and special things that you can do on the Lord's Day because you have set aside all the normal cares of the week and uh, and for that that can easily be a nap that you do not nap during the week because you are being diligent to work and labor and and to go and do and be productive and on on the Lord's Day after after is important um, unless you want to get up really early and take a nap before church, but uh, that's probably not practical. But you know, after after you have gone come together with the church and worshipped our God together, if you want to to enjoy rest by a nap, because that is something that you do not allow yourself during the week as you are working, and that's an expression of you resting in God, then by all means take a nap to the glory of God. Or or for us, uh, yeah, we would love to you know, to play board games or do some of that stuff other times. That, that is time we, we set aside for our family. We don't allow other distractions in. This is not empty kind of entertainment, you know, watching sports or, or doing something else. This is us together as a family enjoying one another on the day that, that God has given us rest from our labors. And, and we, we enjoy the gift of God and rest by playing board games. Um, there's many different ways to do it, and, and people's consciences are going to be affected differently. We're not trying to bind anybody on all the details of what that looks like. But we are 
<clears throat> encouraging and commending that take a day, take the Lord's day as a day to to be to have your day be different, to to step away from your normal trials and stresses of life, to allow those burdens just to to hang out there for a day. Just let them sit there. They'll be there in the morning. Let them sit there and take time to worship, take time to fellowship, take time to rest as an individual, as a church, as a family, and be blessed by what God has given us. I agree. And being able to build up traditions around the Lord's Day does make it a celebration as you rest. Uh, it, it helps. I know our kids really look forward to the Lord's Day because of all that we do at church. And it's a very, it's a, it's a strict routine that we go by at church and the kids look forward to that. And they look forward to what we come home and do as a tradition. And those things are really important to all of us. And it helps it to be a very special day. So give, um, because because you're a homemaker and, and you do so much uh, for taking care of the home and things, how do you how do you um, how do you recommend that that women or mothers uh, make things easier for themselves on the Lord's Day so they're not strained with the normal daily do, do, uh, duties? Well, I don't want to indicate that I am really great at this because this is still something that I am learning. But I have started to get up earlier on the Lord's Day in an effort to make sure that. I am dressed and ready that the kids' food is on the table earlier. But I do know people who are very strict Sabbatarians go as far as making overnight oatmeal the night before so that they can just take it out and pop it in the oven and they're not trying to do extra work on a Sunday morning. Uh, Because we have a a Sunday meal at church, that is actually the component that I am still personally working on on how to get food ready for that potentially the night before, whether it's a crock pot or whatever, to just take and go without having to do extra work on Sunday morning. But when it comes to when we come home for Sunday afternoon and evening, I don't do housework. I actually attempt to have leftovers or something along those lines that's an easier to make dinner so that that's not where my focus is. Yeah. And it it's impossible for well, for really, for any of us, not to have to do some of the things that are necessary for life, especially parents. You don't you don't get to quit being a parent on the Lord's Day because you're commanded to rest. Uh, you still have to be a parent. You still have to work with your children, and they don't recognize, especially the young ones. They don't recognize the difference. Yeah, we have a one that's potty training right now, and I still had to potty train today. Yeah, still had to potty train. So, I mean, there there's. This is not, none of this is meant to be a burden. This is a blessing. We're, we're actually trying to encourage you to, to view uh, a day of rest as a blessing to lay aside your worries and strains. And, and, you know, husbands, think of ways that you can help your wives so that they're not uh, forced to, to battle with conscience on, on how much chaos they have to let go or how hard they still have to work on the, on the Lord's day while still trying to tell themselves that they're resting. And, and maybe that means that, you know, if you didn't, if she didn't have time to make something ahead of time, um, maybe you can kind of step in and give her some rest by preparing a meal and, and wives be, be gracious with your husbands if they do that. Um, and maybe, you know, if it's nice weather out, because, uh, at least for myself, I know that, that starting the grill and grilling food is, um, fabulously restful. Uh, there, there is joy in being able to do that. So if that, if you can rest and enjoy doing that, then, then give your wife uh, a chance to, to 
have a break from that from that duty and and do something like that. There's there's so many ways to do that. And we're not we're not about trying to detail every everything about how you go about this, but but do it to to take make effort to rest, make effort to to have the Lord's day be different than every other day of the week. And the most helpful way that we think you can do that is to build in the kind of traditions and structures that'll that'll make it possible because if you approach each week as well let's just see how it goes uh, you're not going to be able to do it you're going to be stressed every time you're going to be worried about how to figure it out or, or feeling like you didn't do it right but build in those structures that goes back into being purposeful about our decisions so so many times it's just it's just easy to fly by the seat of your pants and easy to just do maybe what your parents did or just get to each day and you're just surviving and getting through but it is important to be strategic in how we approach these things. And I know for myself, if I don't start thinking, okay, tomorrow is the Lord's Day on Saturday morning, then I'm stressed out all of Saturday and you get to Sunday and you're just trying to come down from what happened Saturday. So there is even just thinking throughout the week, oh, let's get to let's get to Sunday. And and we often are thinking living for Saturday. And not and not Sunday, but I think that that's actually where we have to change our thinking. This whole thing is a paradigm shift, and it's about being purposeful in how we view God's word and what He's given us to do, and being obedient. And then, how do we strategically bring our family alongside us so that they'll see the joy in all of that as well? Right, and and yeah, that that's a huge point right there. Um. This needs to be something that you do as a joy. If your kids see this as, as a stressing point, that you are, are messed up and just kind of out of your out of your senses because you're trying to force something on, on the Lord's day and you're doing it all the way and you, it makes you bitter and, and stress and everything else, they're going to hate it. Anything that you do that is meant to be in service of God that your kids see you doing and it's really just something that, that's a burden that makes you miserable, that makes you a, a you know angry or bitter person, uh, they're going to see that and they're going to hate it. Whether they realize that it's your wickedness and your selfishness that's causing it or not, they're going to they're going to transfer that onto onto the commandment that you say you're trying to follow. So that that's that's an important thing that you know your mindset on that and and you know you talk about preparing yourself for the Sabbath and that that's something the confessions get to, you know that you know paragraph eight that the Sabbath is is kept holy to the Lord when people have first prepared their hearts appropriately and arranged their affairs, everyday affairs in advance. Yeah, you don't you don't get to have this this day of rest on the Lord's day by accident. You actually have to be intentional about it. And, and that that means uh, that that Saturdays maybe you don't get to just lay around all day. Maybe you don't get to watch watch uh, sports all day. You know, men or go golfing all day. Or, or maybe you don't get to just to just to relax. Maybe that means you have to be extra diligent on Saturday. Treat it like a work day, even if you're off from your normal nine to five job. That that you bust your butt on Saturday, so that everything's done, and then on Sunday, you can worship God and relax. And by Saturday evening, you can actually take time in family worship and and, and take time just to to wind down a little bit. So then you're not going out late at night and doing all those kind of things. No, you're you're already preparing yourself Saturday night, so that Sunday you can wake up and and, 
be at least some approximation of rested. If you're a parent, you'll know what I mean by that. It really does take a, a shift of gears, though, in someone's head to get to this point. I know it has for us for just understanding the meaning and meat behind all of this of going from the Sabbath under the old covenant. If you did not follow it, it was death. Taking it seriously, I mean, we're not going to die if we mess up on the Sabbath, but realizing that this is something that the Lord is serious about, and if the Lord is serious about it, we ought to be serious about it. We've been harping on Deuteronomy 6. If the Lord tells us we're supposed to train up our children, we need to train up our children. And if the Lord tells us that we need to take a day of rest, we need to take a day of rest, we need to understand what that rest means. Yeah, yeah. And And rest does not mean... Laziness does not mean complete inactivity. Uh, It means laying aside of our normal day-to-day burdens to be able to do what we cannot do on the other days of the week. Um, And, you know, we we could keep going on this, but, you know, hopefully we'll be able to touch on things as as time goes on in different elements. But uh, there, if I, if I remember correctly, there was uh, some a video or something on, on the Canon Plus app that, that was specifically helpful for women in, in, on the Sabbath. Yes, Rachel Jankovic, Rebecca Merkel, and Nancy Wilson have a, I don't know if you call it a documentary or just a video that's on the Canon Plus app that is specifically about Sabbath traditions and, and Sabbath meals and how to prepare a Sabbath meal. And they have a huge house and invite everyone from their church to come to their house. And it's actually a really neat thing though, because they go through the entire process of it and how they do the food and it's inspiring. So that, that, that's one resource. We don't have maybe as many resources uh, now other than, you know, read your confession, read your, your confession Bible. and read your Bible. <laughs> Amen. Um, but we, we do, like we said, even if you are not uh fully convinced doctrinally and scripturally that this is a binding legal requirement on you as a new covenant believer in Christ. Ah, but man, there's so much wisdom there. Uh, and, and the, the principle here of, of the needing, the need that we have to rest and to, to take time and set aside for worship and for, for laying aside of our burdens in, in faith that God will provide and can provide. Uh, that is so vital, regardless of, of if we have some nuances about, why we think that's necessary. So, um, you know, we hope, we pray that this has been an encouragement, maybe to make you think a little bit or push you or stretch you a little bit, or maybe just confirm what you already believed. Um, but we, we do hope, and it is our prayer that, that these discussions will help you to be able to go forward and walk worthy of the call that Christ has given you. This is the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast.